192, shaped by the word, season two, the drama of scripture. Uh, we're witnessing the disintegration of a, a nation, you know, that God has uh, called to himself and has given purpose and has blessed in incredible ways, but uh, their tendency has always been to move away from God, just as we found in, in the garden, and to pursue their own ends and uh, to elevate themselves uh, rather than elevating the God and, and to worship things of their own making rather than to worship the one who who made them. Uh, so in the nation of Israel or the northern ten tribes, you, you never you never see you know a, a bright moment other than the ministries of Elijah, you know, as he challenges uh, you know the house of Israel. Uh, but all the kings drift away from him and the nation drifts with their kings. Uh, we do come back to the nation of Judah, and we, we, we uh, come to a high point in a uh, time of revival in the nation of Judah under King Hezekiah, one of, one of the better kings. It would be great if we could end this week's broadcast, mm-hmm. you know, right here, or a podcast right here, uh, but we're going to find something really disappointing about Hezekiah that, uh, you know, like uh, Samuel before him and like Eli before him, his, his son turns away from the Lord and uh, the heritage is not passed on. And so we'll move from Hezekiah to end the week, spoiler alert, on one of the worst kings in, in the history of Israel, you know, his son Manasseh. But uh, let's just enjoy this moment before yeah. we get there. Sorry I did that to you. Uh, so this is, this is a high point in the, nation, uh, in the nation of Israel, one of the kings after God's own heart. Uh, like his father David. So we're in Second Kings chapter 18. Uh, Matthew, why don't you uh, help us offer ourselves in this moment you know, to the Lord in prayer. Yeah, let's pray. Father, we do offer this moment um, in ourselves to you. We ask, Father, for you to, um, to use your word to, to build us up and to edify us. Um, Father, would it, would it bear much fruit as we... Um, as we see you and your beauty and your glory and, and just marvel at who you are and, and all you've done. Oh, Father, we, we're grateful for, for this, for the technology that enables us to read as your body, um, to enjoy scripture and, and to enjoy you together. And so, Father, be, be so present with us. Um, thank you that you do desire to dwell with your people and, and to meet with us. And so, Father, we ask that you would um, attend to us, uh, be with us. And uh, use your word. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Second Kings 18. In the third year of Hoshea, son of Elah, king of Israel, Hezekiah, son of Ahaz, king of Judah, began to reign. He was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 29 years. His mother's name was Abishah, daughter of Zechariah. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, just as father David had done. He removed the high places, smashed the sacred stones, and cut down the Asherah poles. He broke into pieces the bronze snake uh, Moses had uh, made, for up to that time the Israelites had been burning incense to it. It was called Nehushtan. Hezekiah turned and uh, in the, Hezekiah trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel. There was no one like him among all the kings of Judah, either before him or after him. He held fast to the Lord and did not stop following him. He kept the commands of the Lord had given to Moses, and the Lord was with him. He was successful in whatever he undertook. He rebelled against the king of Assyria and did not serve him. From the watchtower to the fortified city, he defeated the Philistines as far as Gaza and its territory. 
in King Hezekiah's fourth year, which was the seventh year of Hoshea, son of Elah, king of Israel, Shalmaneser, king of Assyria, marched against Samaria and laid siege to it. The end of three years, the Assyrians took it. So Samaria was captured in Hezekiah's sixth year, which was the ninth year of Hoshea, king of Israel. The king of Assyria deported Israel to Assyria and settled them in Hala, in Gozan, on the Habar River, and in the towns of the Medes. This happened because they had not obeyed the Lord their God, but had violated his covenant, all that Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded. They neither listened to the commands nor carried them out. In the fourteenth year of King Hezekiah's reign, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, attacked all the fortified cities of Judah and captured them. So Hezekiah, king of Judah, sent his message to the king of Assyria at Lachish. I have done wrong. Withdraw from me, and I'll pay whatever you demand of me. The king of Assyria exacted from Hezekiah, king of Judah, 300 talents of silver and 30 talents of gold. So Hezekiah gave him all the silver that was found in the temple of the Lord and in the treasuries of the royal palace. At this time, Hezekiah, king of Judah, stripped off the gold with which he had covered the doors and the doorposts of the temple of the Lord, and he gave it to the king of Assyria. King of Assyria sent his supreme commander, the chief officer, and his field commander with a large army from Lachish to King Hezekiah at Jerusalem. They came up to Jerusalem and stopped at the aqueduct of the upper pool on the road to the washerman's field. They called for the king and Eli- Eli- Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, the palace administrator. Shebna, the secretary, and Joah, son of Asaph, the recorder, went out to them. The field commander said to them, Tell Hezekiah, This is what the great king, the king of Assyria, says. On what are you basing this confidence of yours? You say you have the counsel and the might you have the counsel and the might for war, but you speak only empty words. On whom are you depending that you rebel against me? Look, I know you are depending on Egypt, that splintered reed of a staff which pierces the hand of anyone who leans on it. Such is Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to all who depend on him. But if you say to me, We are depending on the Lord our God, isn't he the one whose high places and altars Hezekiah removed, saying to Judah and Jerusalem, You must worship before this altar in Jerusalem? Come now and make a bargain with my master, the king of Assyria. I will give you two thousand horses, if you can put riders on them. How can you repulse one officer of the least of my master's officials, even though you're depending on Egypt for chariots and horsemen? Furthermore, I've come to attack and destroy this place without word from the have I come to destroy and attack this place without word from the Lord? The Lord himself told me to march against this country and destroy it. Then Eliakim, son of Hilkiah, and Shebna, and Joah said to the field commander, Please speak to your servants in Aramaic, since we understand it. Don't speak to us in Hebrew, in the hearing of the people on the wall. But the commander replied, Was it only to your master and to you that my master sent me to say these things, and not to the people sitting on the wall? Who are like you, uh, who like you will have to eat their own excrement and drink their own urine. Then the commander stood and called out in Hebrew, Hear the word of the great king, the king of Assyria. This is what the king says. Do not let Hezekiah deceive you. He cannot deliver you from my hand. Do not Hezekiah persuade you to trust in the Lord when he says, The Lord will surely deliver us. The city will not be given into the hands of the king of Assyria. Do not listen to Hezekiah. This is what the king of Assyria says. Make peace with me and come out to me. Then each of you will eat fruit from your own vine and fig tree and drink water from your own cistern until I come and take you to a land like your own, a land of grain and new wine, a land of bread and vineyards, a land of olive trees and honey. Choose life and not death. Do not listen to Hezekiah, for he is misleading you when he says, The Lord will deliver us. Has a God of any nation ever delivered his land from the hand of the king of Assyria? Where are the gods of Hamath? 
and Arpad? Where are the gods of Sharavam, Hena, and Eva? Have they rescued Samaria from my hand? Who of all the gods of these countries has been able to save his land from me? How can the Lord deliver Jerusalem from my hand? But the people remained silent and said nothing in reply because the king had commanded them, Do not answer him. Then Eliakim, son of Hilkiah, the palace administrator, Shebna, the secretary, and Joah, son of Asaph, the recorder, went to Hezekiah with their clothes torn and told him what the field commander had said. So we meet in Hezekiah, you know, a high moment. As a matter of fact, uh, not only is this praise uh, put him, you know, in direct connection with David, he even elevates him above David. He was more devoted to the Lord than any before him or any after him. So that's really high praise from the writer of Kings. But even though you do have this and you do have a great moment in the history of Judah, the judgment is still inevitable. And even in Hezekiah's time, uh, you see things. Uh, moving, you know, moving in that direction. He's seeking alliances with other nations, with Egypt, and uh, with Assyria. He's breaking, you know, covenants with them. And, and of course, you have the king of Assyria coming in and threatening to surround him and besiege him, like they had done Samaria. And of course, the people in Samaria had fallen to these, or succumbed to these atrocities, where they had no food, where they were, as as he says. Well, I'm not even going to say it. We read it once in the podcast, and we really don't have to refer to uh, eating excrement or drinking urine after that one single mention. So what do you guys think about? Yeah, to me, it's just, you know, we mentioned it a couple days ago, but then here again it tells us, you know, why they fell. It was because they did not trust the Lord, and it was their own sin, their own idolatry. You know, and so even that question the field commander asks, you know, don't listen to Hezekiah. He's misleading you when he says that you know, the Lord will deliver us. The Lord is more than capable to deliver Judah from the hand of Assyria. Mm-hmm. And he even says, you know, has a God of any other nation been able to deliver his people out of my hand? Mm-hmm. And and Judah's answer in this moment should have been, yes, the Lord is more than capable. You know, yes, it is. And, and it should have been, it could have been, you know, some areas as well. Mm-hmm. And yet, you know, I, I just I love that this is situated in the, kind of the midst of these passages because we we know as we're reading this, the problem wasn't that God's arm, you know, was too short to save true. or mm-hmm. He wasn't powerful. It's it's the sin of God's people, you know, their experience and their judgment for their sin. And so, you know, just seeing that kind of situated there a little bit is is almost just a, a telling um, thing for me as I'm reading this. Is, is mm-hmm. man, God is more than capable. He is more than powerful, and yet sin, you know, call for judgment. The problem is sin. Yeah, well, you know, you have idolatry, but you also have alliances here, you know, that uh, also portray a lack of, you know, confidence in the yeah. Lord, that you're trusting in Egypt, or you're trusting in, you know, Assyria, uh, you know, rather than, you know, trusting in the hand of the Lord, you know, Lord himself. And so you see, you know, kind of another failure, you know, of, you know, political alliances being a substitute for trusting in the Lord, idolatry being a substitute for worshiping the Lord and worshiping uh, the Lord only. So even in, in, with this great king and these you know godly tendencies he has, you see still see the heart, you know, of, um, of of sin of who we are, relying on you know things around us rather than relying on God, of valuing things around us higher than we you know place a value on God. And, and so again, we're seeing a reflection of our heart and of our character, you know, in, in, in this moment. I like as well, just you know, so much of the biblical narrative that we've been reading is just a story of anticipation 
and of something to come. And even here, we've seen the really dark moments of Israel, and there's more to come. But there is then this moment where we see, man, there is just one. His, his father is David. There is no one among him. All the kings of Judah ever before him. And and so we see how this kind of dark moment comes, this this kind of in anticipation of the here's someone finally. And then, man, that's what a beautiful picture of, of Christ as well, that, you know, there was a greater king that came after him, and it was, it was Jesus. And in the dark moment of silence for hundreds of years, there comes this birth, this heralding of this son is born. And so just knowing we see the anticipation and then we see something good for the people here with Hezekiah and then knowing, man, there's so much more anticipation, so much more good for the people in the coming of King Jesus. Just a cool thing to keep in mind as you're reading the story. Now we a see, lot of anticipation. And we see Judah, and Judah in a desperate place because of her idolatries and her, and her, and her sin and her lack of confidence in the Lord, uh, eagerly waiting in a deliverance. And that there will be a short-term deliverance, but there is an even greater deliverance uh, you know, promised that's permanent and lasting and deep and uh, built on the heart and not merely the outward circumstances. So we do feel the anticipation of the gospel, you know, as, as we do read this. Yeah, I think um, one, one aspect of this passage that really strikes me is starting in verse 31, um, when this messenger is saying, do not listen to Hezekiah. It's what the king, this is what the king of Assyria says, make peace with me, come out to me. Then each of you will eat fruit from your own vine and fig tree and drink water from your own cistern until I come and take you to the land, to a land like your own, a land of grain and new wine, a land of bread and vineyards, a land of olive trees and honey, choose life and not death. And hopefully that that sounds similar to us because so many of those promises from the king of Assyria are promises that they've actually heard from the Lord their God. And in Deuteronomy, I mean, I, I'm hearing Deuteronomy in this, mm -hmm. and and these are promises that he fulfilled to them and that they have turned away from. They have turned away from the source of all these good things, and they're hearing this promise. And how tempting would that be to hear this promise and be like, well, maybe we should listen to this king. He's powerful. And, and yet, um, you know, I, I'm so glad that Hezekiah in this moment does seek the Lord. Um, and, but yeah, I just think, I thought that was interesting that it just, it really echoes, um, these promises that the Lord made and was able to fulfill. Uh, and, and, and of course there's obviously a subtle difference. Uh, there, uh, promise from the king of Assyria, everything that God had promised to deliver, to him, and, and he also promises something he cannot give them, right. and, and that's uh, life. Right. Uh, these are things that uh, we, we often look around us, uh, you know, uh, to have fulfilled for us. Uh, but when we separate the good gifts of God from God, it doesn't lead to life. No. It leads. It leads mm -hmm. to death. Father, thank you for, thank you for your word. We thank you that it is, as James said, a mirror in which we see ourselves. And, and we pray, as he challenged us, that we wouldn't see our reflection and walk away unchanged, but we would allow you to do your work through your spirit to challenge our idolatries and our alliances, the things that we're depending on, uh, and the things we look to for life and purpose rather than receiving it as a good gift from your hand. It's in your holy name we pray. Amen. Amen.